0: welcome to voices of the valley a series interviewing growers entrepreneurs educators and technologists who are inventing new solutions for today's and tomorrow's challenges on the farm brought to you by readley college educating the next generation of agriculturalists in advanced technology efficient production practices and food safety now here's your hosts of voices of the valley dennis donahue and candace wilson this is Dennis Donahue, and welcome back for another episode of Voices in the Valley. And uh, joined, as always, with my uh, good friend and partner, Candace Wilson. Candice, welcome! And this is going to be a fun conversation.
1: I'm so <laughs> looking forward to it. How are you today?
0: Well, I'm doing well, and I'm and we're excited to uh, welcome Frank Wong, who's Bayer's head of U.S. industry of Affa- the U.S. industry affairs lead. That's the first time we've encountered that title. I like it. It sounds really important, and we're going to find out why. And, you know, Frank, we always like to have our guests kind of tell us about, you know, kind of their career journey to what they're doing today. And I like the fact behind the line that you said, well, that's fine. But well, the real question is, you know, how does a Fresno-born kid somehow end up in North Carolina working with
2: Bayer? So tell us how it happened. <laughs> oh, well, well, Candice, Dennis, thanks so much for having me here. I'm super excited to be on your podcast today. And just a little bit of clarification. So Bayer's actually got five on the team that I'm on. And Martha Smith leads our industry affairs team. And basically what we do is that we partner with grow organizations and basically find areas of common interest, whether they're kind of commercial, legislative, regulatory or policy related things. But, you know, Bayer is really invested in the well-being of its, you know, if it's customers and the end users of Bayer products. So we want to try to maximize our value as far as, you know, not, it's, it's not always about products, you know, it could be about farm policy or food policy or some, you know, legislative regulatory issue popping up somewhere that really affects the well-being of growers and so you know we're kind of those liaisons and partners that will actively work with groups like western growers association to kind of identify those and you know be good citizens as far as you know working with the grow communities to make sure that you know we're showing our value you know so well
0: and yeah. you know the other thing that's uh, terrific about this conversation is right. it's timely and mm-hmm. uh, as yeah. we were getting ready to uh, host in salinas the salinas biological summit Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you've really got a terrific background that really reinforces the importance of that conversation at this point, because you've touched a lot of the bases in your career, academia, dealing with regulatory, and then and then obviously your involvement yeah. in the private sector. And so help us kind of tee up the importance of biologicals mm-hmm. in the
2: industry at this time, you okay. know, from a Bayer perspective, and then just yeah. also your personal experience. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and, I'll kind of start from the beginning and I'll go back to your original question is like, you know, how did a, you know, kid from Fresno end up? Yeah. We don't want to let that one pass. From, <laughs> from, from so Give us know, that background. <laughs> yeah. How, how did a, a Fresno kid end up in, in Raleigh, North Carolina, working for a, you know, a global ag powerhouse. Right. And uh, again, you know, growing up in Fresno, you know, my, you know, real humble beginnings, right. You know, I went to Edison high school and, you know, grew up, Pretty close to fresno state you know go bulldogs and everything like that and you know it's of course you know like every good asian kid you're supposed to go to university and become either a doctor lawyer engineer right so (laughs) so i gotta admit i i went to uc davis for my undergrad and you know full-on pre-med you know uh ideas and somewhere along the line i remember even though I I had gotten financial aid and scholarships to go to Davis, you know, you still needed money to go buy books or you know go eat hamburgers or whatever. So I remember he's like, oh, you know, I'll go get a lab job, you know, and uh, ended up in you know applying for a like a, essentially a dishwasher type position, you know, and I, I had was like,
1: one of those too.
2: Exactly, all all great scientists start as dishwashers, right? <laughs> and and so um, you know it was the Department of Plant Pathology. And uh, you know again you know, I didn't know what to expect I was I would just I wanted money to buy hamburgers right and ended up working in the lab of Deborah Galino right and probably someone you know listening to the podcast know who she is she's a longtime plant pathologist at UC Davis and and you know ran the Foundation Plant Materials Service up there and but it was during that time of the phloxor issue right in and are you know you know grapevines are just getting destroyed left and right you know in California and you know they started bringing in different you know root and things like that that were potentially phlox resistant and uh you know unwittingly there was all these viruses running around in in and so deborah's lab you know worked specifically on viruses and of course you know i was familiar with like you know cold viruses and you know the flu and stuff but i didn't know that you had viruses inside plants right you know so i was i thought i was like cool as heck you know i was like holy smokes this is so you know so cool <laughs> But the kicker was, you know, so here I am, like 18 year old dishwasher. And, you know, they're asking us to go, you know, work in the field, you know, do help the grad students do, you know, you know, research. And you know, they they take us up to Napa and Sonoma to the field sites and, you know, a little wine tasting on the side. And, you know, yeah, I pretty much forgot about med school after that. You know, I was completely seduced by the California grapevine industry, you know. And so, you know, that that led me to going to grad school for plant pathology and and they said, "Oh, you know, Frank. Hey, what's what's you know what's what's your dream job?" I said, "Man, I would love to be like the grapevine pathologist, you know, for the UC Cooperative Extension system. You know, that'd be the, like my dream job." So they said, "Well, you know, if you want to go, you know, to you know, you know, out out, you know, come back to California. Basically, you got to go out east. Go go east, young man. Go to Cornell. You know. So that's where I ended up for grad school and got my PhD out there, and and essentially, you know, kind of came back to California. And you know, as Those of you know and you know who who are ever looking academics, the only way you get a job is if if somebody retires or passes away, right? So good old Doug Goobler was still at UC Davis, and so chances of getting his job was zero. So um there was a position open at UC Riverside, and it was essentially golf courses, right? I didn't know anything about golf courses at the time, but I was a pretty good plant pathologist, so they took a chance on me, and you know, I became the statewide turf specialist for the university of california system and and you know again i thought i'd do that for a little while but you know it took me 20 years uh, or i i i'm still touching turf you know 20 something years later so it was an unexpected (laughs) journey but the reason i am at bayer right now and uh you know dennis you you might relate to this is it's all about a girl so (laughs) 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 who have you been talking to So again, I'm, 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 you know, a little embarrassed to say, but so when I was still faculty at UC Riverside, I met Caroline, and she was this up and coming, you know, bright young scientist, and and she just finished her PhD, and you know, she she was headed off to Washington D.C. to do some work with the EPA, and you know, I don't know, we're dated in through years, got engaged, got married, and. You know, Shazam. But unfortunately, she was in D.C. and I was in California, and so you know, it comes to that time where you realize that you know, if you spend your whole life looking at dead and dying, moldy plants, and somebody still wants to marry you, you might as well kind of like take advantage of that. And 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 uh, if she says move, you move, right? You know. So, well, uh, Candace <laughs> and Frank, you know, we need to let the record show this is the first love story we've covered on Voices
0: <laughs> of the Valley. So glad it had a happy ending. So carry on.
2: So so fortunately, Bayer Bayer was was like, you know, hey, we heard that you're you know, that your uh, your wife is in, in D.C. And, and uh, you know, you're still in California. You want to come on board and, and work with us. And so um, came on board at Bayer in a technical role still in, in that turf and ornamentals kind of space. But, you know, we were living in D.C. And, and well, just to clarify, so Caroline's working at EPA, U.S. EPA but fortunately nothing pesticide related. So we've never had a conflict of interest. We've argued about things like WOTUS before, but uh, never on pesticides. So, you know.
1: I love controversy. <laughs> this, I mean, this is this is fabulous. This could really shape up to be an interesting interview, Dennis.
2: Well, we, that, that's why it's here.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: <laughs> I will tell you this. I think the, you know, it's surprising. Caroline and I tend not to ever, you know, kind of, have any controversy because you know she she works for the office of research development so she's often working on on non-agricultural issues but i remember one time coming back from from a, a meeting and I, I you know i said something like oh you know the waters of the u.s is just really you know bad because a, a lot of the grower groups just really hate it because it causes more problems than it solves you know Oh, I quickly found out who was working on Wotus in my household, you know. So, uh, yeah, that was not that, was, that I would say that was the only time that Caroline and I have have, uh, you know, uh, come into potential conflict, uh, professionally. But you know, that's, uh, again, it, it makes for an interesting, I- an interesting, uh, uh, dinner conversation sometimes, right? So. <laughs>
0: I'll I'll bet. Uh, yeah. So of course, no no comment on the recent Supreme Court uh, ruling. So. <laughs> uh, oh, though, she... though as Western growers, we we would have a comment, but that's not my beat. Uh, <laughs> so okay, we've got you to Washington D.C., yeah, yeah. but let's backtrack uh, a yeah. little bit. What? when you were at the UC Extension, yeah. you know, one uh-huh. of the things you thought was uh, important as we kind of did a little little yeah. background is you know your belief desire to yeah. go about finding um, solutions for end users yes. how did that whole process work chicken and egg who asked who to do what or were you proactive how did you approach
2: that yeah well you know let let me let me um, answer that question in and i'll talk about my recent conversion to being a big fan of biological control and and this is maybe a mildly amusing story. So believe it or not, you know I you know going back to going from Davis to Cornell for grad school, you know I I showed up you know was not prepared for the cold weather Birkenstocks are not you know snowproof or whatever, and I was very very you know kind of committed like you know I, I want to you know look at how to do disease control without heavy chemistry. You look for alternative you know non-conventional biological ways of doing things. So. So, you know, I, I embarked on this PhD project looking at uh, induced resistance in grapevine and trying to harness the, you know, vine's natural immunity system to fight against, you know, diseases. It was a tough project. I mean, I for two years, I was trying, trying, trying to, you know, use different, you know, elicitors, different techniques to to try to get the grapevines to protect itself against downy mildew. It was so, like, my results were so bad that I almost quit. I, I was, you know, ready to cry and come home to California. And, and then, you know, my professor, um, his name was Dwayne Wilcox, he said, hey, you know, I know this is not what you want to do, but, you know, there was these new fungicides running around there, you know, the strobes or, you know, uh, strobe urine fungicides, you know, the, the QOIs, try them out, you know, tried them out, like one part per million, like 100% control. It was like religion. You know, I mean, it was like it was like, holy smokes, these things are are awesome. You know, synthetic chemistry is great. You know, and and so I have to admit, you know, from from the beginning of my career, I I you know when when my PhD research really took off, I mean, I was I was just a hardcore chemistry guy after that because it was just like the proof was in in the pudding, right? And and I, I have to admit, I'm a little bit embarrassed because over the next you know like you know fifteen years. You know as an academic and then also you know kind of kind of you know still being in the technical position in my former position at, at bayer i was always really hard on on biologicals because you know um again being statewide cooperative extension in, in in you know uh for the golf course industry you know in california uh damage on greens and fairways not very well accepted right so so you're you're really looking for Or you know, you had to have products, you know, that were providing control. That was the bottom line. You needed control. You need something that the end user was of value, you know, whether of like moral, ethical, or, you know, other faith-based beliefs on what you should be using, it had to work. So that really shaped a lot of my thinking. and, And I would say for maybe like the last two decades of my career, I've always been really cynical about biologics, you know. I, I would have to say I kind of found religion at the last Western Growers meeting that I, I was in. And and this is kind of why I, I think I'm in the boat now. You know, certainly being in Washington, D.C., you can't help but get sucked into policy. Right. So I kind of morphed from a technical person into kind of more of a regulatory policy person and and started. Going down that route, which led me to this industry affairs person and uh, you know position at, at Bayer, but you know definitely within that realm, you see so many challenges for synthetic chemistry, and you know for good or for bad, you know um, both at the national level, you know with you know banning this or restricting that, and California, oof, I mean I uh, you know I, I I'm a born and raised Californian, but. Sacramento is a difficult place to do work sometimes, right? You know, and you know with with the various rules and restrictions and and you know, and then you get the public weighing in and they want to get rid of this or get rid of that with legislation. And and so it's certainly challenging for, you know, for maintaining tools um that actually allow you to produce fruits and vegetables that you can sell and market, right? Um so so that really hit me as far as like, you know, the they're There needs to be a way to address those types of challenges. Um, You know, that in combination, I got to admit, you know, I've been around a lot of different groups uh, in, you know, over my 20 plus year career. And it, it was really, really fascinating how once I started working with Western growers, that, you know, that for lack of a better term, the innovation, the Silicon Valley influence, was there it's n- unlike anything i've seen in other organizations i mean there was real talk about about you know leveraging innovation and bringing things to market that no one else has you know um at the last meeting i was at you know we spent a long time talking about what you know what the collapse of silicon valley bank meant i don't think i've talked about that in any other grower group meetings you know and 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 so what that did dennis for me it was like me and you know so that, on top of you know um you know walt um you know Walt to you know during his innovation committee talking about like look you know we're not pro this or anti that we need to have tools that our growers can use to meet challenges and at the rate that we're you know losing them we need to look in different directions and it again that was kind of like a semi-religious moment for me i'm like you know what i will buy your pizza i am in your boat it makes sense. And so that's why, you know, I I think it came at a very good time. It's like, you know, I have been very critical of tools that, you know, are kind of in the biological space, but you know what, I totally get it. There needs to be innovation to address those needs for growers in, in your area. And especially, you know, with all the regulatory and legislative challenges that California and West Coast growers are facing. And if there's a group that can do it, by harnessing innovation technology, I'm kind of guessing it's you guys. So you know.
0: Well, we hope so. We think so, <laughs> and uh, we're, we're we're certainly trying to uh, make sure that that happens. You know, you mentioned getting religion, and you know, yeah. you and Candace mm-hmm. certainly have more experience with this mm-hmm. than I do. What's What's been interesting to me is I've learned more about it. And, you know, and I tell folks, you know, yeah, I was a grower shipper, but I was more of a sales and mar- marketing type. So you trust the judgment of the folks you're dealing with on on the production side, but, you know, biologicals, you know, it might be the framing of the conversations, but then you get into biostimulants, biopesticides, biocontrols, you know, so it's not a one size fits all type of conversation. And, you know, we think there's a real inflection point around, you know, biocontrols. And it's been interesting to hear, you know, kind of learn about things because, you know, you talk about overall plant health helps with resistance on the front end, But, you know, growers are certainly very mindful of, yeah, but we got to get to harvest and a lot of our issues show up on the back end. And then that's kind of where you hear the biological folks also talk about the need to still work with, you know, maybe it's softer, you know, the phrase is soft chem, but, you know, there's (laughs) still some sort of interaction. And it just seems like this conversation besides, you know, the regulatory issues, uh, the nature of products you're going to use, you know, you really have got to... uh, be pretty nimble as the grower or the farmer, you know, how, when, and where. And, uh, you know, you mentioned golf courses in the beginning. It's, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, if you were to use a golf analogy, it's, you know, not only do you have to play it out it lies, but, you know, which way is the wind blowing <laughs> and that sort of thing. Things get a little more situational in a biological world, don't they? Or am I not reading that right?
2: No. And, and, and certainly, you know, Candice has got a, a lot of experience and, you know, I, I certainly welcome your insight on this. I might get in trouble a little bit for saying this, but I would say that, you know, if we're looking at the evolution of, of agriculture and and really kind of like, you know, post-World War II, you know, Norman Borlaug, you know, Green Revolution kind of stuff is like, you know, the impact of actually putting synthetic nitrogen out, it's like amazing, right? You know, it's like you've got these big crop boosts and stuff like that. And it was pretty linear. It's like put nitrogen out, get better yield. Fantastic. You know, there's a kind of a analogy or or kind of concurrent path going on with, you know, pesticides, you know, it's like, you know, you start applying, you know, synthetic pesticides. It's like amazing. You got bulb weevil control or whatever, you know, it's just like, you know, and I think that, you know, those were, I'll say those are easy answers. It was a very linear kind of connection. You know, you, you, you produce a chemistry, you get a result. I think as the public Demands have changed as we get a better understanding of of kind of like ecosystem impacts and, you know, sustainability and, you know, most importantly, consumers are demanding aspects of that as far as, you know, these, you know, ESG and, you know, sustainable goals and so on and so forth. Just that linear, you know, you 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 add this and you get that it's not good enough anymore. Right. So, again, I think it's, you know. If you take a molecule and you expect a growth response or you take a molecule and you expect a pest control response, pretty simple. You know, if you take something like a biostimulant or a biological control organism, it gets complicated really fast because, you know, you can't predict how those more complex systems are going to reliably act. You know, and I I think that's a big challenge. But again, you know, going back to Norman Borlaug, I mean you know, the power of an iPhone essentially back then would have been like four city blocks of computers, right? So I'm optimistic that, you know, we've got additional technologies that will allow us to maybe, you know, try to make those systems more predictable that, you know, you're you're going to be able to, you know, utilize organisms more effectively, integrate, you know, maybe some advanced, you know, breeding techniques techniques you know gene editing crispr whatever you know um we've got so many for lack of a better term toys to play with uh now and so i'm i'm very optimistic that we can move in different directions that we weren't able to like 10 15 years ago so you know
1: well i think you said that nicely and i i also think you bring up a challenge that the growers will also face you talk about nitrogen you talk about pesticides and you see the impact immediately you see it in a season you mm-hmm. see it in a matter of days and with this whole biological space we're talking about a journey and mm-hmm. it's fostering a different kind of environment it may take several seasons it may take another tool from the toolbox to bring it mm-hmm. all together and kind of see the the fruits and the benefits of it all so so we think the difference is is also just for growers to understand that it's something you're going to have to stick with for a while to see the real benefits of it.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, I, is it okay if I ask a question? It's, on... it, it's never happened. We don't before, allow those. But,
0: but okay, okay, Candace, I'm game <laughs> if you are. Not knowing what's coming, <laughs> Frank,
2: go ahead. So, so again, I, I mean, I, I still. Even though i live in north carolina i've never been mistaken for north carolinian i'll put it that way but but i i still consider california home and i i watch with great amusement uh what is going on back home and and i my question to you is like you know we've got these you know proclamations from sacramento you know like we're gonna go 100 percent electric by 2030 we're going to revise our you know pesticide list by you know 2040 or, or whatever these grand proclamations coming from Sacramento, does that ultimately help the ag industry because it's just, it's just pushes everybody along or is there the potential to really hurt the industry by making idealistic goals that maybe aren't realistically met? So,
0: well, I would answer that with my favorite ag answer. It depends. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, one of the things that, you know, we're going to be doing at the biological summit is, you know, the DPR just came out with the roadmap to 2050, but it's still a work in progress subject to public comment. And and obviously Western growers from an advocacy standpoint, you know, will want to uh, protect the synthetics that work well as best are able. But, you know, our, our hope is that in the end, you know, good science and good economics rule the day. You know, the question you're asking always certainly leads to something Candace and I have talked about in a number of episodes. And and frankly, people throughout the industry do. You know, we're doing good things, but quite often we feel like we're on the defense. How do you change the conversation? Yeah. Yeah. And, Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, if you look at the roadmap, and so one of the questions I want to get back to you, though, I want Candace to feel free because she's the provocateur, she's the one that (laughs) likes controversy. So I'm going to let her (laughs) answer that question. But one of the things that's in the roadmap, is a conversation about or a note that they do want to make it easier to get through the regulatory process. Mm. So that's certainly good to hear. And and we know, in fact, you know, I was on a call with some folks from the EPA today and, you know, they were talking about California is a real center of gravity because, you know, mm-hmm. because of the size of, you know, the production acreage out here and the nature of production specialty. So you certainly have to be attentive to what's going on here because, You know, a lot of times there are regulations that exceed uh, EPA or federal federal standards and that sort of thing. And, you know, and what's interesting to me about this category, it is a place where investors have spent a lot of time and, you know, the things we hear as we talk to them in preparation for the summit is, you know, how do I better evaluate companies and products and mitigate risk? Because the regulatory piece is part of the process, you know, Mm. product development consideration. So, you know, I think it's fair to say, you know, under all circumstances, you have to acknowledge what's on Sacramento's mind. Mm. And and, and then what you hope is by engaging constructively and specifically, you can either educate, you know, at the end of the day, the way you get outcomes that are desirable for everybody is co-development. You know, can you work together? You know, so... Certainly, our hope is with the summit that we can help contribute to that process. You know, the uh, the other thing I'd note, and then I'll turn it over to Candice, is we're going to have folks from other other parts of the world. And as I understand it, the Netherlands are, let's, 50% reduction by 2030. Mm-hmm. You know, so when you hear roadmap to 2050, on one hand, you can relax on, a, a little bit. But <laughs> but on the other hand, you being from Bayer, no, not a lot, because product development uh, is a really lengthy cycle so you know 25 years is kind of two clicks of the dial if it wasn't synthetic oh yeah absolutely hopefully what's encouraging is that you know this is a process there seems to be a better length of time than other parts of the world that we've heard and hopefully we can take advantage of that in a good way candace i don't know about you but you having been in woodland which is really near sacramento uh you might have some thoughts
1: you know i think for the most part you covered my thoughts I think the disconnect from Sacramento and the agriculture community is so significant. There's been a lot of just erosion, I guess, of some of that relationship and a lack of trust that the grower community sees the roadmap to 2050. And what they hear is, again, we're under fire. Mm -hmm. So this is, you know, another Sacramento doesn't understand us. Sacramento doesn't support us as a whole, you know. And so it's discouraging and it furthers this we don't trust each other sort of environment. Mm -hmm. They can can just be really challenging to operate within. And I also like in support of Sacramento and understanding what needs to happen, you do have to put a stake in the ground somewhere. And Mm -hmm. is it 2050? Is it 2030? Is it 2075? Who knows? But it's nice also to just have a, we have a goal in mind and now the industry can organize ourselves Around this goal and understand kind of what that roadmap looks like and key decisions and stuff that need to be made. And I really liked the words that Dennis used about co-develop. I think that Mm -hmm. is important. We need to use it as an opportunity to work together and for industry to help educate Sacramento. We're using Sacramento very (laughs) broadly, (laughs) loosely, but really to work together and understand where can we meet in the middle and what is realistic too. Because you know, we're going to learn a lot over the next 5, 10, 30 years. And hopefully we all just have to be open to how we're going to adjust that course.
0: You know, and the other thing I would throw in is, and I think Frank, you and Candice with your background, is there are regulatory considerations Mm. for sure. Mm -hmm. But the reality is also there are clear innovation opportunities because synthetics are not necessarily meeting the need of all of the issues the specialty crop sector has. Uh, Mm -hmm. So I like because we're going to introduce, and as far as we know, we think it's the first dedicated biological accelerator program and embedded in the center is, you know, we want this mm-hmm. to be more than we get together and talk like, okay, well, what yeah. are we going to do? But, you know, the reality is we have a myriad of issues and you know, different crops different, you know, are more susceptible to different diseases, pest pressures, and that sort of thing. So we need lots of tools. And, you know, one of the things Bear's obviously a huge player. Their interest in biologicals is significant, but on the other hand, you know, Bear's got a business model. Oh, you know yeah, they're, yeah. they're not like a puppy that's going to chase every ball. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they're going to they're going to pick and choose, and yeah. uh, you know, so they may have a priority that's say, like, well, you know, like our interests are in these two or three areas. But I'm pretty sure, the the crowd, crowd, we got more than two or three problems. You yeah. know, so yeah. but what you all do. Is important. So, how how do you look at this world? You know, from a product development standpoint, and then also, I certainly want to take advantage of your expertise to you know kind of explore how are biologicals different from the regulatory side. Do they move through the system easier because uh, it's not chemistry? You know that sort of yeah. thing. But how does Bayer look at the whole product development process? Where are the opportunities?
2: Well, you know, first to frame it up, you know, the summit in California has certainly been a Good opportunity for us to put our, for lack of a better term, our our actions where our mouth is. I'm, I'm not going to say money, but actions, right? You know, the fact that our senior vice president, you know, and uh, head of crop strategy and you know for fruits and vegetables globally, Peter Mueller, is coming over from Germany to present at the conference. I think reflects how serious Bayer is on kind of enabling these technologies in you know for for crop protection. But, you know, I think, you know, ideally, you know, what what we're projecting is that, you know, we see the challenges, especially in Europe. We see the challenges on, you know, MRLs and countries abusing, you know, MRLs or, or import tolerances on pesticides as, as potential non-tariff trade barriers and things like that. You know, again, we would be a bad partner if we didn't recognize and address the fact that your members, you know, then and the growers need other options, right? Uh, so you know, for sure, we are we are hoping that we see an acceleration in both discovery and development, as well as potential revenue from those new products. Because again, you know, somebody's got to pay for that development, right? So so again, it's very hard to justify investment into a new technology if there's no return. You know, and again, that's not me personally, but you know, some of our shareholders, right? But what really concerns me as far as development is that if you look at the overall size of you know fruits and vegetables, whether and, and I'm not picking on anybody, but you know you compare that to wheat, corn, soy, you know, cotton, whatever, you know, I just you know, and again not not playing favorites, you know, they are small acres with tremendous economic value, but I think that's where there's going to be some potential pain points is that you're, if you have a, you know, global company and it's not just bear, it's it's anybody, you know, it's like, are, you know, are we going to develop a product that specifically only works for asparagus? You know, mm, probably not. I mean, and again, I'm, I'm not picking on anybody, but you know, uh, certainly not picking on asparagus growers, but, but you get my point, you know, it's, it's, I think that the challenge is, is to make these, solutions work in a way that you know the shareholders actually see the return on investment and i think again you know without getting serious corporate and corporate all that stuff like that that that's that's where i see the big challenge you know there could be technologies that are applicable but you know nobody's going to grab it and run for you know 3000 acres of asparagus or whatnot, you know, and, and again, I'm, I, you know, I'm, I know some asparagus growers going to send me hate mail, you know, for getting the acreage wrong. Well, but, well but, good news. Know. It probably won't be anyone
0: listening <laughs> to us because we had one of the last remaining California asparagus growers in the center yesterday and we're down to 600 acres Gosh, and, and, and we think there's only three guys. So unless oh. one of those three is listening, uh, you're, you're probably safe no hate mail on the asparagus yeah. side.
2: so yeah you know as we were talking about you know a lot of these technologies are really going to be site specific whether it's crop or geographic you know and and they got to be dialed in and there's got to be infrastructure potentially around those kinds of solutions and and so that's the part that kind of makes me get a little bit of heartburn you know it's like can we actually be successful in dialing down to that level and and And, and, yeah and frank
0: just a quick question and then let candace jump in yeah. When you use the word technology and, you know, and I'm going to sound like a real layperson, which yeah. I am technology as it relates, you know, to inputs or these types of products, what does technology mean? Is it, yeah. I mean, something that you can patent, what exactly does it mean in the, in this space?
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, for me, I, I, you know, I'm broadly using probably abusing that, you know, the term technology, but, but again, you know, if, if you look at just, I'll just say like a bacteria or something like that, that's developed specifically for disease control. Okay. You know, so you've already got disadvantages on that one. It's, it's a living organism. It doesn't have necessarily a broad spectrum, you know, antibiotic that it's producing or whatever, you know, it might only last two hours on the leaf surface instead of 21 days, like a synthetic, you know? So again, You know, it's not only what you're spraying, but it's the technology that goes around it. You know, are you going to have to look at more precise applications to get coverage on plants to make sure that, you know, you're you're actually getting the organism where it needs to hit the other organism, you know? So, of course, you know, you're going to roll in precision agriculture, GPS, nozzle spray technology, whatever, you know weather monitoring, you know, to predict like when you're going to have infection periods or periods of susceptibility to insects, you know, so on and so forth. I mean, you know, not only that, but you, you know, decision-making software and programs, potentially artificial yeah. in touch. So, so again, I'm, I'm painting with a very broad brush, but the point being is like, you know, if the expectation is like, Hey, we're going to replace a synthetic fungicide with a bug in a jug, It ain't going to work. It's just, you know, you almost need to develop that solution in a a system wide approach. And I think that, you know, if the expectation is, is that, oh, you know, something like Bayer is just going to have a super bug in a jug that is going to replace, you know, my 24, you know, insecticides, fungicides, and herbicides, I, I think that's an unrealistic expectation. So I think that, you know, again, there's got to be additional layers of management uh, you know that that are built into these you know biological control systems and and again, I'm no expert in this, but I'm just you know coming from my background and in, in being more you know synthetic heavy. but again, you know it's not just the engine, it's got to be the doors, the body, the okay. windshield wipers, and the tires, right you know so. Candice, what it's you think? so
1: true. I think Frank said that really nicely. I think it ties back to the whole idea of the timeline for these things and the many different iterations that it's going to take to be co-developing the different technologies that ultimately, you know, the industry is going to see value in. It's going to be a long road. So I have questions, though. And I it's- might think this may change gears a little bit from specifically the biological space that we've been really focused on. But I'm curious, as mm-hmm. the US industry affairs lead, what other areas or priorities, what other subjects are high on your list? How else are you spending your time?
2: oh boy um you know so it's it's funny like on our team you know we've got on the team you know you've got somebody who's dedicated to to corn another to soybean and and canola you know uh, I have another teammate who's who's dedicated toward the southern crops you know like cotton and, and and Florida citrus and fruits and vegetables down there so I think collectively you know kind of we've all got different challenges but with my chemistry background somehow I have Unfortunately, inherited the mantle of being like the chemistry geek on the team, so I have to deal with all of the registration and re-registration issues with pesticides. And I got to admit, Endangered Species Act is probably taking up 99.9% of my time right now. You know, and the whole point being there, and and, and I know I spoke about this at the uh, Western Growers last their last board meeting. You know, the challenge there is that EPA has to review fungicides under the federal insecticide fungicide redenticide act you know so that's part one but then you've also got this you know endangered species act of 1973 that says that any federal action has to not negatively impact endangered or threatened species and unfortunately fulfilling the endangered species act requirements for pesticides is really difficult because that act was really looking at like oh hey you're gonna build this bridge over a river you're gonna knock out all these three-toed salamanders or whatever you know it's like to apply those kinds of uh, compliance requirements on something that's potentially sprayed or or used nationally, it's very challenging. So EPA had always kind of kicked this can down the road, you know, and um, unfortunately, a lot of groups who don't necessarily want to see a lot of, you know, uh, chemistry used for crop protections have recognized that this is Where are you going to hit the industry if you want to get rid of tools? And there's just been so much litigation piling up against EPA for their decisions that it's negatively impacting current and future decisions. So it's been a lot of working with not only Western growers, but other, other associations as far as trying to work with EPA to allow them to get ahead of the litigation, but also to remind them, it's like, hey, you know. Farmers are growing food. They're not necessarily prioritizing endangered species. You know, it's like endangered species on the list, but growing safe food for the American public and for trade and so on and so forth. That's a higher priority. You know, so so again, you know, working through trying to make sure that everybody understands how, say, for example, like mitigations that EPA comes out with. with may not necessarily work for having a successful crop. Uh, You know, that's been a big challenge of what I've been really spending a lot of time on uh, recently. But again, going back to Dennis's question, that's why, you know, looking at other avenues for crop management, like biologicals or, or whatnot, that don't necessarily have, you know, as high as perceived, you know, external environment environmental impacts or whatnot, you know, we got to do it because a lot of those, you know, other tools are just under a lot of pressure, you know, for right or for wrong. Right. So hopefully, right. Candice, I, I I did answer your question, did not just dance around it. So, but, you know.
1: No, yeah, that's, I mean. <laughs> Very interesting. Very interesting.
2: You know, it's, It it's,
1: wasn't the answer I was expecting, but however, <laughs> that's what made it more interesting. So,
2: thank you. <laughs> oh, I'm going to get a, I, I don't know if I'm going to invite back because I'm too much of a loose cannon on this podcast. Well, well, well we haven't done any sequels, but we'll, we'll, we'll give it some
0: thought. It depends how we finish up here. Uh, you know, I wanted to ask you, cause I remember, you know, the board meeting you're referring to in, in Phoenix where you, spoken we talked about uh, or you talked about the regulatory environment are there some distinct differences you know and let's say you've got you know chemistry and biology at the starting gate and they've got to go through the regulatory process in broad strokes is it easier uh to go through one door rather than the other uh just because of the nature of biologicals or About the same. So if you're an investor or if you're a grower thinking about, hey,
2: when's this going to get the market? I kind of like it. How should you look at that? Yeah. And and certainly, you know, I don't want to overplay or I'm I'm not going to hide my ignorance on this one. You know, I am not an expert in the biological registration process because you know I, I just historically focused so much on synthetics. But you know, generally I think biologicals have lower well, they have to meet the same requirements, but certainly, you know, there's a perceived lower risk from a number of these applications or 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 I'll bug it. The, the the products themselves, you know, are perceived to have a lower risk. And generally, I think that you can get a biological agent through a registration process you know relatively quickly compared to say a synthetic at this point in time and again you know, i i would be making it up if i were to quote numbers but generally you know my gut feel is is it's like half the work at least for registration of a biological and again uh you know, probably somebody's going to send me hate mail, but, uh, you know, if I'm misquoting that, but, but generally, uh, it's, it's just easier to get them through the registration process because of just their nature, you know?
0: Well, for what it's worth, we don't give out your address. So we'll have, <laughs> if, if you do get a hate mail, we have nothing to do with it. <laughs> so. Candace, as we wrap up any, any final questions or thoughts, and then Frank will, uh, have you uh, weigh in on that as well. But Candace, kick it over to you.
1: Actually, I do have one more question. Mm -hmm. How? And I don't know that this is totally your lane. So this was kind of why I was hesitating. But there are so many, and we've interviewed several different companies and also just a handful of VC folks um, in this space. Companies that are doing the R&D development of biologicals. Obviously, that's a loose sort of umbrella. How is Bayer engaging with the industry and some of those startups, evaluating what they have, potentially partnering? You know, certainly you guys have your own R&D happening, but I know you also survey the scene often and kind of how are you figuring out who the right players may be who are emerging in this space?
2: Yeah. You know, and Candice, I, I I don't have a, a great answer for you because, um, you know, it's certainly... Not a space that I play all the time in, but as just, you know, sitting in the larger kind of, you know, public affairs and policy group, it's like every other bloody week. Bayer announces some partnership with somebody, you know, and I'm more familiar with it from like, you know, the digital side, you know, as far as just like announcing, you know, a new partnership with, you know, so-and-so or, you know, I'll pick on pairwise, you know, that was more of a partnership I was, you know, tuned in with. But, you know, this is kind of for me, you know, I'm a solid Gen Xer, right? You know, I just turned 52 weeks ago, right? You know, back in the day, I don't remember you know, this happening, you know, when I was like in grad school or something where, where you had so much quick investment into startups and the willingness of a company to just kind of take a chance on, you know, a technology. And it's a much different shift in mentality. I I think, you know, I'll, I'll pick on Ford Motor Company. It's like, you know, Ford, it's like, you had to build all your own stuff. You know, there was everything had to be in house. Right. And I think, you know, now, especially, you know, working at Bayer, it's definitely this mentality is like, hey, if we don't have access or we don't, if we're not experts at this, you know, let's go out and partner with somebody and, and let's let's go find somebody who who can do it faster, better, uh, who has more expertise uh, than us. And I think that's been super helpful. And again, I apologize for not having, you know, all the company, you know, things at the tip of my tongue. Again, that's a bad part of going senile at 50. But uh, again, you know, <laughs> I know, okay. Don't get old is terrible. Uh, I, I I lost the war again. bifocals. Frank, too morning, late. So. <laughs> <laughs> but but I, again, I, I feel that, you know, generally, whether it's us or some of the other big ag chem uh, players... That you know, investment into startups is is just par for the course at this point in time. Again, going back to using golf analogies, but um, but but again, you know, I, I gotta say, Candice, you know, like I was so impressed by the discussion on investment capital during you know, these last few Western Growers uh, meetings that I've had the opportunity to be at. I mean, it's certainly not a conversation that is happening in a lot of other ag areas. You know, I I would say it was a breath of fresh air as far as you know, kind of seeing how tightly the California industry is tied to, you know, innovation technology from Silicon Valley and and other places. Um, you know, so again, um I don't know Candace, I'm 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 kind of like looking forward to see what's going to happen. You know, this is this is kind of uncharted territory for me. So, you yeah. know.
0: You know, knowing when this is going to air, we still have time to put in a plug and just you're a great segue for we're going to continue and expand those conversations at the uh, Salinas <laughs> Biological Summit. And if you want more information, you yeah. can go to www.salinas-summit.com. So, uh, but, you know, the goal really is to have a high level conversation with all the stakeholders. And I like what you said, you know, when I asked you the technology question there are a lot of layers to this and and, you know from a product development standpoint you might think okay well this might go a little quicker but then when you talk about all the layers you know and then the application implementation and learning how to incorporate things you know you could still end up with the same uh, length of time in terms of really incorporating something in the system so it's not too soon to start and uh candace i don't know about you but i i was excited to talk to frank and i think we've had a, a great conversation you and I can huddle later and we'll decide if there's a sequel and he gets to come back. But we're not gonna <laughs> let him we're not gonna let him know right now.
1: Frank, I so appreciated your energy today. It was fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us.
2: No, oh, thank you, Dennis. Thank you, Candice. And and again, I, I, I look forward to seeing you next, next opportunity in, in California. Um, And uh, again, apologies. I'm trying to cover California from Raleigh, North Carolina, but uh, <laughs> e- eventually one day I'll make it back home. So, you know, I
0: still like how you snuck in that uh, golf course pond, you know, par for the course, you know, with <laughs> with your background. So well played. And uh, Candace, why don't you uh, finish up and invite our listeners back and all that good stuff?
1: Absolutely. Thanks again, Frank. It was a pleasure having you. And I would like to invite all of the Voices of the Valley listeners to both like and subscribe to the podcast. And we will look forward to another episode next week.
0: Thanks for listening to the Voices of the Valley podcast brought to you today by Reedley College. To learn more about Reedley College's Agriculture and Natural Resources program and the courses offered in ag technology, food safety and plant science, you can visit ReedleyCollege.edu.